Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast brought to you by Tacticam. Tacticam is by far the easiest way to begin filming your hunts. Whether it's the 4K 5.0 or the budget-friendly solo, Tacticam has something for everyone. Check them out at Tacticam.com. This year we're also working with Spartan Forge. Spartan Forge is machine learning for the deer woods. Basically, Spartan Forge takes collar deer studies, insurance car deer accident information, social media geolocations, and it couples that with weather, moon phase, and rut activity to tell you when or when not to be in the woods. This currently has an online interface at SpartanForge.ai, but the app is currently being built and set to launch late summer. Once the app goes live, you can expect there to be a price increase, but if you use code bowhunter, you can save 25% and that will stick with you as long as you use the Spartan Forge services. So head on over to SpartanForge.ai and get your free 14-day trial. So if you follow along with our podcast, you know we're not shy about sharing our hardships and failures. Uh, today's social media world, this is kind of an anomaly. I mean, everybody shoots 140s every year on public land from a saddle with a kayak, right? Well, maybe not. This week we're talking to Jason Red of Timber Ninja Outdoors on hunting in general. Failures, hardships, we talk about method of take and why we choose some hunts over some others, why we choose to hunt the way that we do, and a little bit of what hunting means to us. Jason has some great insight on hunting. Uh, I talk to him quite often, and I'm sure you're going to love this one. This is kind of like uh, maybe like a little bit of a look inside some of our conversations that we have here and there. Um, I know you guys are going to like this one. Jason is like the furthest thing from your typical business owner, and we basically don't talk about any of his products other than to say that he's got a saddle coming out here, um, amongst the other things, the carbon fiber tree stand and platform that they're working on but it's really just about kind of hunting and the difficulties that we all face um i'm sure you guys are gonna like that but before we get to the episode i gotta tell you a little bit about what's going on from the patreon side so uh patreon is a crowdfunding for creators that allows uh, you as a listener to help out with operating costs um like the new editing program that I use to edit this episode. So uh, leave us a review. Tell us if you noticed anything. Hit, hit us up on Instagram if you like the way that this one came out, or um, if not, um, use the different program and would really like some feedback. Um, but it also, it's also helping fund. We are building a studio uh, for a consistent, improved recording environment for the show. And you can help out with, like, as little as 17 cents a day. I mean, you'd literally walk past that in the parking lot of the hunting area um, if you saw it there, but it really does help us out. But also through uh, some of that Patreon money, through our partners, uh, we do some great giveaways through, um, you know, every quarter. So this quarter we're giving away a Tacticam fisheye package, uh, a hunting beast tree stand, we work with Basemap. Basemap is great. You can use code CHRONICLES to save 20%. It's $30 for the entire year. Using our code, it ends up being $24 for the entire year. That's $2 a month. Um, 
incredibly powerful. They have a new improved interface that's coming out. The screenshots of it are tremendous. We're going to have Ed here on the podcast here very soon uh, to go through all that stuff, but they give away a year membership as well, as well as a swag pack with a shirt and hat and all that. Um, Spartan Forge, as you heard in the the intro, um, Spartan Forge, their app is right on the cusp of coming out and they're giving away a subscription to that. Um, Zinger Fletchings, 3D printed compression fit fletchings, uh, super easy to use, super great. They're going to be what I'm using at the Total Archery Challenge. Um, And now we also have access to the Vitals Live, the live and record recorded webinars and that's right guys for you guys that are already patreons that have been asking how do we get to the archived information i've got all that login from login information so to shoot me a message i'll get that out to you i'll send it out on the the patreon um, so you'll have access to the entire previous year of all the videos all the webinars dan infall johnny Everhart, you know andy may zach uh, Fahrenbaugh, Greg Litzinger, the list goes on. Just some great information. Uh, but in those live webinars, you can actually ask questions to the experts in real time. So for all the podcasts that you listen to, you'll also get to, I mean, now you're the host in, in somewhat. You get to ask me. I ask the questions in real time about your properties, all that. Uh, great thing. Uh, but that's offered through Patreon as well. And if you're interested in that, if you want to help out the show, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash bowhunter chronicles podcast. Uh, you can click our link on Instagram. You can go to bowhunter chronicles podcast.com and click um, the link for Patreon. Um, but any of those places, Instagram, are on our website. Also, click to get entered to win our uh, Bowtech 2021 Bowtech Carbon. I, uh, carbon Zion. Um, we're giving that away. Uh, HHA has given us a, the Tetra single pin site. And a Virtus Rest. Um, it's a great setup. I just set my bow up with a almost identical setup, and it is shooting lights out. Super excited! You don't have to be a patron for that one. That's just from us to you. Uh, we're a bow hunting podcast. We haven't given away a bow. Um, it's something you know, kind of. You know, if you don't have a bow, you can't really go bow hunting. So uh, it's kind of like that's the barrier of entry. So we wanted to give back, and I just in love with this platform the the Bowtech carbon bows um incredible value it's awesome uh we came out of pocket for that with uh our friends over at johnson's great outdoors um they hooked us up with a little bit better pricing uh mitch is great up there if you're in the area check them out but um you can sign up for that and you've got till june 10th uh to get signed up for that we're going to give that away uh right as soon as we get back from the Total Archery Challenge, we are doing our cookout at the Total Archery Challenge. We'll be up there through Thursday through Sunday, uh, right behind the practice range, as we always are. Um, we're in the condo above where we normally are, but you'll be able to see the banners and all the stuff. Uh, so stop by, say hi. We're doing a cookout on Friday night instead of Saturday because shooting the day that you have to go home extremely hungover is uh is not any fun at all so um we're gonna do it on friday so we don't have to do it on on sunday all the cleanup and everything like that so um check us out shoot me a message on instagram if you guys are going to be at the total archery challenge up at boyne mountain please stop by 
like I said, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. Um, we'd love to, we'd love to see you hang out, have a beer, eat some food. Uh, it's going to be fun. Uh, no podcast next week because it's a holiday weekend and, um, you know, we're getting into summer. We got a lot of big stuff coming up. So uh, we are going to take one week break. Sorry about that. Catch up on the old episodes and uh, we'll be back with you here soon. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, Adam and John back with another episode of the Bowhunter Chronicles podcast. And we are talking to uh, what I would consider a good friend. I talked to Jason quite often here. Jason Red, the Timber Ninja, um, the Carbon Fiber King, you know, safety guru. Um, but we're going to talk about something that, um, you know, maybe maybe is more near and dear to us or maybe more frequent than we like to talk about. Uh, maybe a little bit of a uh, bit of failure <laughs> today. How's that sound, Jason? Yeah, we can talk about failures all day. We all have them. If you're if you're if you're trying hard, you're always gonna fail. That's the key. Well, we were just kind of talking about it before we got on here. Um, you know, if you're on social media, you don't ever see any failure. These guys with these big giant uh, Instagram pages and YouTube and all that stuff, rarely do you ever see them post their hardships. Now, how how is that possible? Do you suppose? Um, you know, that's a good question. Uh, I think, uh, you know, maybe some people get to go on like canned hunts and get multiple opportunities, but I think in the real world, um, most of us that are hunting public land and, you know, trying to make things a little more complicated, we have a lot more failures than we have success. I mean, things just happen, you know, I mean, if you look at hunting, we're just chasing a creature that spends its whole life trying to survive in a natural environment. So they're really good at what they do in that. You know, you think about it, they do that every day, hundred percent, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year. We do this as a hobby. So like they should be better at it than us, you know? Um, but you know, some people get lucky or they um, maybe go on canned hunts or have, you know, areas that, they don't, these animals don't have to do that. I don't know. Or maybe they just, we're just good. Who knows? Well, last time we talked, we talked a little bit about like your hunting history and, and kind of what you were, what you were all about. Um, and so you're, t tell us about the area that you're hunting in like average success rates and the kind of where you're hunting there in, in North Carolina. Oh, uh, I mean, where I live, I live in Western North Carolina and, we have a pretty low deer density. It's mountain terrain, so it's really rough. Um, you know, the as far as harvest records go, there every year is like 0.4 bucks killed per square mile. So, you know, that's not a lot of animals. And you know, a lot of places I hunt, if I I target mature, and I've talked about this before on some other podcasts. Is, I feel like it's almost easier to target mature animals because they're easier to seek out rather than just overall animals. Cause it's, it's, it's almost like a, a balancing act. I mean, they, they are about the same, you know, like most of the areas I'm targeting mature bucks in and are a buck that I find that I'm hunting 
I don't really see many deer that whole year while I'm trying to harvest that animal. You know, I just, I mainly am focused on that animal and I don't see many other deer because there's, we don't have a lot of them, but I get fortunate enough, you know, I get fortunate enough every year to at least lay eyes on them and get that opportunity, but I don't always like, um, accomplish the goal. <laughs> so just one thing or another, you know, it just happens, miss or, you know, wind changes something, you know, they take a different trail. It all, it all, there's a, a list of things that can go wrong. <laughs> so what do you mean when you say that it's easier to target a mature animal versus just hunting deer or I guess maybe like expound on that. Like what's the difference? Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess for a person starting out hunting, I wouldn't say maybe that's a wrong way of putting it. It's not easier, but as I've spent time in the woods and been able to identify, um, mature animal habitat where mature animals live and find mature animals, you know, it's like, it, I could have just as hard of a time trying to kill a doe in some of these areas because we don't have that many deer, but I've gotten decent at being able to find mature animals. So I can go find them and not even look for the other deer. I just go look for the mature ones because essentially, you know, the, the ratio is about the same for, you know, number of deer, not saying there's five mature bucks or five does, but you know, like, um, I can, I have a good opportunity of finding the mature deer and then just focusing on them rather than trying to whack a doe. I mean, it's just, there's not, they're not that far off, I guess is a better way of putting it as far as ratio goes. Nope. And, 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 that, and that's in the national forest, you know, this isn't talking private, you know, land around here. I mean, the ratio is a little bit better. The rate, uh, the buck ratio I was telling you about earlier, the point four bucks per square mile is in a national forest. And what's the hunting pressure? Like, do you have, is it, do you see a lot of other guys out there hunting on this? Um, not in the places that I hunt. And that's the thing I key in on is I would much rather, and this, I, I look at this anywhere I go in the Appalachian range. I mean, I hunt a lot of different States in the Appalachian range, and I would much rather go to places that there's going to be less people, uh, in a lot of times less animals, but I feel like, uh, my success rate goes up if I can, you know, don't have anybody else bookering my hunt. So where I hunt up here, I rarely see anybody in a national forest. So like the further, further you go away from Asheville, which is where I live and the deeper up in the mountains, um, the less people, you know, you're going to run into. Yeah. So that's kind of like, like our elk hunt, like the elk hunt Adam and I went on, we didn't see another hunter. There wasn't a whole lot of elk. But when we got into them, they weren't messed with, you know. And then on the other hand, like when I went to Montana last year, it was just, that's all we seen was other hunters. Yeah, we seen a lot of elk, but they were so spooky, could hardly call to them anything. It was just like, I would, yeah. and that was my point. Like after a talk, I'm like, I would rather go to an area with less elk and less people, you know, than go to a place where there are a ton of elk, but there's a ton of people screwing it up. It's like, to me, the opportunity is better in the low density. <laughs> I agree, man. Like even where I elk hunt in Colorado, it used to be that way, but nowadays we're getting a lot of people, but you know, that's another reason we choose uh, when we go elk hunting, uh, we, we go earlier in the year because most people are trying to chase the, 
the peak of a rut when they're screaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to go early because there's less people. And if you play just some years, it's, it's off and on some years, it's way better. And they're sh- starting to really pick up and get vocal um, early. Uh, but another thing I, I find when you hunt them early out there is that they have a tendency to stay in their, in their area. You can find them on their bed and they'll, they'll still bugle, you know, it's kind of like a turkey. They'll still bugle in the mornings and stuff and you can locate where they're at and they're getting a little worked up. So if you work in there and you start doing some bugles, you know, and getting up in their bed, they're going to get really pissed off, you know, uh, yeah. I like that, but nowadays, like we were in a unit, uh, the unit we mainly hunt is very low success rate, uh, out there, but, um, it used to have way less people, but now it's getting wild, man. It's, and that's the thing. I mean, that's another reason, like, I mean, I, I love hunting to seek adventure. It's like my number one priority. And that's why I like hunting mountain whitetails. And that's why I like hunting out West is because I can go on adventure hunts and get away from people but it's becoming extremely hard to get away from people even out West, um, no matter where you go. Like uh, there's only a few places I would say anymore out West that you could probably go and not really see anybody, you know, and some of those areas are extremely remote areas or areas that have a really high density of like grizzly bears, you know, cause a lot of people, a lot of your weekend warriors don't want to deal with bears, but <laughs> you know, I, I went to Alaska last year and like Alaska is really the only place in North America that you can go anymore that you can completely get away from people. And, um, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm keen on that. I'm, I'm like you, <laughs> like I would much rather. We actually, we even tried that last year in Montana. Like the first place we hunted was like up by the Montana, Idaho border, you know, not really grizzly country but there was just a ton yeah. of people and we're like okay we're going to grizzly country maybe there'll be less people there and yeah. matter of fact there was like right where we were hunting there was like two guys attacked last year and <laughs> i mean and we get there and we seen just as many if not more people there's guys Jeez. out there in like little one-man tents out just you know camping and i'm like holy shit, these guys either don't know what the hell's going on. Like we pulled into this little park and the very first thing you see in the sign, the sign when you pull in to this little state forest campground was welcome to, welcome to bear country. And there's a big picture of a grizzly, you know? Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I might want to sleep in my truck, you know? <laughs> yeah. But man, those things make you eerie. But, but yeah, it was, it was, there was a lot of guys out there. But Yeah. It's getting, I mean, you know, on one hand, you want to say it's getting worse, but on the other hand, from a hunter number perspective, you want to say, all right, this is cool that more people are out there, right? Because, I mean, we need more numbers of people hunting to keep this thing going because there's a lot of anti-hunters that want to shut it down. So it's always very complicated, you know, like, right. and, I've heard, and I've heard some pretty, you know, people get some some stink about that, you know, that are big known folks out west and not liking all the pressure, but we kind of got to have it to keep the, keep the whole thing alive at the end of the day. You know, we're trying to bring in more hunters because I mean, I think pre COVID uh, we've been on a 10 year slide, but like the numbers that we picked up during COVID, what I've been reading, you know, is that uh, we're as good as they were like eight or 10 years ago or something like that. Just like far as growth numbers. Right. I mean, yeah, like, me 
my group for Montana this year, there was, we put in a, with our five man party and we didn't draw a tag mm-hmm. for our general elk. So like, that's pretty, you know, that's pretty rough. <laughs> oh yeah. But yeah. I'm still I mean, going, I'm still heading out there to elk hunt. I mean, I'm not going to hunt. Obviously I don't have a tag, but my buddy lives in Montana. So as a resident, he gets his tag. So oh, cool. I'm going to go out there and for two weeks and, just call and video and, you know, learn some new train for, for the next opportunity I get to go out. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be going to Colorado again this year and we'll see maybe a rodeo, but maybe people are back to work. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, it doesn't seem like it, you know, there's so many people looking for people to employ right now and they're not. So it may be another shit show again this year. So how do you feel like about, the things that that we do right so do you i i know that we need to get more hunters in you know we need more hunter recruitment and and everything but it seems like the more uh, that podcast like ours talk about like yeah go out and do this or this is how we do it and then they have guys on like dan infault and you know, all the guys that are saying like, these are all the tricks and secrets and everything. This is where you need to hunt. And we've seen it where you think that there would not be a guy anywhere. It's like this information is, is freely available now where before it was like inside tricks or, you know, you know, it's pretty close to the cuff. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you think about that? I mean, even in, um, Obviously, that's definitely affecting, like you said, the guys out west. Um, is that is anything happening with that as far as like hunting in the mountains or hills or in the areas that you've hunted? Um, I mean, I don't think so much where I hunt. Uh, and I've talked to buddies that hunt in different states. Like, I mean, I, I have seen this year. I had a guy on camera, and I'm pretty sure it's a guy that I know who it was. That's like message me a bunch and like you know like i've taken some pictures of some overlooks i probably shouldn't have and and there's a lot of people that are guilty of that stuff especially in the early days of social media and hunting and you know trying to build a fan base like people taking pictures of mountain ranges and or people taking you know a video and showing their onyx and people screenshotting the onyx and um, knowing exactly your latitude and longitude. I mean, that it's, it's crazy the extremes that some people go through, honestly. Um, but I haven't really experienced it that much here. I mean, I, there is a, a huge peak of interest in, um, from a whitetail perspective on the East coast of hunting mountain whitetails right now, because it, I mean, it is really cool. Um, you know, like you can get that w- Western experience on the East coast for a person that has never been out West or, maybe doesn't have the time off or the the budget to go out west like you can get a real cool backcountry experience uh on the east coast so there i mean i get a lot of messages about about that and i know my buddies that are kind of known that do a lot of mountain style hunting they do as well but you know the thing is and i've seen this with a lot of different um hobbies and interests that i've had in the past is people and, and, and even I'm guilty of it myself. Like you see things and you watch videos and you get really excited and stoked about it. And then you go out there and do it and you realize how, how damn hard it is. And then you only do it once, you know what I mean? Or 
you know, you get overwhelmed the first time. You're like, man, I'm really over my head right now. Um, I mean, I think, you know, um, attrition will, will, will like kind of keep some of that stuff down uh, in the mountains. Cause like, you know, when you talk about like a low density deer area and it's extremely rough terrain and you have to put in a lot of time, I mean, cause the, the key to success and like we were talking about earlier, um, in my opinion, the, the the people that are the most successful and even like influencers you see in, you know, on social media and YouTube and stuff, the ones that are com- extremely successful are the people that have the most time in the woods and have the most persistence. Right. And, and you have to be extremely persistent and have a lot of time in the woods out here to be, you know, consistently successful. So, you know, I think, you know, somebody say if they came to Western North Carolina on in, you know, God forbid, if they wanted to pick their rut trip to come out here and just hunt, like they could be really disappointed because you may go a week and not even see a deer. Right. I mean, and I, I mentor and recruit a lot of new hunters here and, and the first thing I tell them is like, Hey, don't get, don't get discouraged when you don't see anything. Cause it's just common up here. I mean, even signs, sometimes it's hard to show people sign unless I really take them into my spots that I've spent years finding, uh, to sh- show them, you know what I mean? Like, um, so I don't, I don't think we're going to see it here, but there's other areas in the, maybe in the Appalachian range, I think that have higher deer density that could, um, potentially see a uptick, you know, and, um, you know, I, I don't think it ever be as bad as out West. So what do you think, uh, I guess, what would you say is the, the issue with mountain hunting, um, as a whole versus like hunting a hill country or, you know, some of the, the big timber, because, you know, you talk to, or if you've listened to Dan Infall, he says like, you know, big woods, is some of the most difficult timber, you know, difficult terrain to hunt. Um, but when you get into hill country, it's like, oh, they just, you know, they always bed here and they move around these bowls. Um, what separates mountain hunting from like hill country or like the, the big timber? Why, why is, is it just the deer density or, or what? Uh, no, I mean, I mean, essentially the mountain country up here is big timber. And, um, I think a lot of the hill country and like, especially I think, you know, most people, I think, I guess, reference the hill country to Dan Impulse stuff that he does, which is hill country leading into ag. So essentially where you have more ag and even here in the mountains, like if you're closer to ag and private land, your deer density is going to be a little bit higher, you know? Um, but when you get into big timber, old growth national forest type tracks where they're not doing a lot of clear cuts and stuff like that and producing a lot of like premier white tail habitat, the deer are just a little bit more scattered and concentrated. And you also have big tracks of land. But in my opinion, once you learn to hunt the mountains, like if you find the deer, they're not that hard to pattern. And cause like, you know, once you understand the terrain and that terrain also translates over into hill country because, you know, the deer are going to use, um, you know, essentially the same type of terrain features. It's just like when you go from hill country to mountain country, just the topography is increased. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I, I mean, you know, like hills are still laid out with, the, you know, ridges and 
finger ridges in the mountains, you have the same thing. It's just, you know, they're intensified. Okay. And so on your Facebook page, um, I don't know if it's just like Timber Ninja or what it is, but you have like kind of like a forum there where you're, um, it's not really focused on your products or gear. It's more about learning and uh, kind of like a, yeah, I don't know. Not like a ninja. Yeah, a, a sounding board, and it's it's really, really good. the The topics that you bring up are like well thought out. It's not the, just the same like, hey, what's ever what saddles everybody using, or like, how yeah. do you how do you one stick? Um, but you were talking yeah. about, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So you've seen the other ones, I think it. Um, yeah, <laughs> but you, yeah, you'd been posting some pictures and and some instances of uh, like some setups where maybe it didn't work out or, or whatever. And kind of like, can you explain like some of the setups where you've got in on these deer and like how you figured it out and then maybe why it didn't work out and maybe some of the successes as well? Yeah. Um, well, uh, really how it doesn't work out also leads to success in my opinion of, of the way that I like to hunt. Um, I mean, I primarily put most of my attention. So, you know, but my season's kind of split. Like I am fortunate that I do have a lot of time, you know, maybe I'm going to show a bunch of kills, but whatever. I do have a lot of time to hunt. I get to hunt a lot of places, but like around home is where I spend most of my time, like capturing data, targeting specific animals. And then I have like this other side of me that loves going to um, different areas in the mountains and different States. And then I like going in blind with knowing nothing and trying to find them an animal uh, to kill or, you know, a target animal during that time. And then I go in blind and try to make that happen. So it kind of works two different ways there. Um, But like essentially the setup is ultimately going to be somewhat the same, except depending on the time of year, I may tweak it a little bit. Like, so I like at home, I spend most of my time, targeting animals that I have some history, you know, based on trail cameras, target bucks, whatever. Um, I like to focus on them early and late season because I, I do think your best opportunity to kill a mature animal. Cause that's mainly when I'm hunting whitetails, I really like to hunt mature animals. Like I'm not that interested in trying to kill small deer unless I have a rifle in my hand. I'll shoot anything with a rifle, but with a bow, like it's, it, it's, it's, it's really weird. Like with a bow, it's kind of like a work of art, it, you know, and this sounds cliche or, or whatever, but when I, when I have a bow, like, it's like, that's the thing I really want to put my focus on. Um, and I want to like tailor it to specific animals. And so I put a lot of time at home and trying to find these animals. And uh, so, and I feel like my best opportunity to kill them is early or late season. And I'm primarily doing that close to their beds because I'm not a, I don't think animals are ever nocturnal because like, you know, a deer, it's almost like, you know, they're like a cow, right? They have to get up and move around during the day. They can't say, stay sedentary all during daylight hours. They get up, move around out of their beds, feed a little bit, you know, get some water, whatever, stretch their legs, switch beds based on wind, all these things. And so they're, I'm not a big believer in animals going completely nocturnal. They may be nocturnal in areas that where people have their trail cameras on the hot sign, but these deer are moving. So like, I like to target them in their beds. 
And so how I really like to hunt them and I would say 80%, maybe 90% of the mature bucks that I've killed have all been killed coming out of their bed and most of them been killed in the afternoons. And one of the things that I really put a lot of attention to, and, and this is what we're, I was talking about that leads to success and failure, is I always hunt them on a win that benefits them more than me. And I, I catch crosswind. So, I, you know, crosswind or cross thermals, because up here in the mountains, you can't really rely upon winds because we have so much different terrain features that cause wind to do crazy things. Like I can have a wind at my house that's doing one thing and have you know, different areas I look at on like, uh, weather underground or whatever close to where I hunt that says one thing, but I can get up there and it can be going a completely different area or I can go between two ridges and the wind changes. So those deer aren't that, in my opinion, up in the higher mountains, they're not that focused on wind, but they are very thermal focused. And if, you know, if they do get them both lined up, I feel like that's, that's great for them. Um, so what I always like to do is hunt them where those winds and terminals are benefit benefiting them better than me. And I and majority of the bucks that I've killed, um, I know, uh, and I'm getting better at this and it's taken, you know, years. I've been up here for 12 years and it's, I've been doing this for 12 years up here and um, I'm getting better at picking that trail that he's going to take to a degree. And then when I set up on it, I've got that wind and thermal benefiting him, but my, my thermals and wind are just cutting it enough to where I have a really small window of a shot opportunity. And, and I have a short time to capitalize on that. And if not, you get busted. And I mean, it happened to me this year. I got, um, <laughs> I mean, it, it laid out perfect on a target buck I was hunting and just so happened though, he came in had a doe with him and he was following the doe going back to his bed actually this was a morning hunt actually and uh i was catching him coming back to his bed but he had a doe with him and um they were using the same trail and she hit my thermals right before he stepped into the opening in these thick laurels because i hunt really thick laurel thickets and all he had to do was take one step but she caught my thermals and blue and he didn't know what was going on, but he just, you know, obviously ran with her. So when you're talking about getting in there and the winds being screwy, um, mm-hmm. I like to know like how far are you going in? Uh, cause like when we talked to, and this was, uh, I think whitetail and bear hunting, when we talked with, uh, Adrian, Adrian Wilson, you guys can go back and listen to that podcast, but he's like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm in shape. I can hunt these hills, you know? And then he's like, I don't want to go any farther. <laughs> like, this is, this is awful. Um, you know, so it sounds like, you know, some of the places that you're hunting are still just like anybody else, you know, that wants to get in, wants to get away from people are, are a long ways away. And so if you've got, you know, the weather says the wind is here. The wind is here at your house. You're going to set up on a bed and you've got to walk, you know, a ridiculous amount of time, elevation, um, all of that. And then the wind is different in thermals, like in a low deer density. Well, the thermals are always going to be. A, a yeah, pack. thermals are going to be consistent. It, yeah. Yes. Right. They're going to be consistent. Well, I was going to say the way that those work with 
you know, a wind or predominant wind. And like, if you've listened to some of the guys, like he's talking about like Nathan Killen, when they talk about hunting, like these bowls and the way that the wind works and, you know, it's, it's just pretty wild. So how are you planning on setting up on a bed in like an unpredictable wind scenario? Uh, I mean, I, I'll check my wind as I go in and I may have to change where I'm going to set up that morning. That's where being mobile is key. Uh, but the thermals are always going to be consistent. So, and I think the deer understand that as well. And they're going to bed based on those thermals more than the wind, if that makes sense. Sure. Um, and I mean, honestly, one, one of the, the biggest benefits of hunting low density areas is that you can hunt an area multiple times without boogering it because there's not deer aren't really taking that trail that much. You know what I mean? And that's where we we were talking about earlier is the time and the time in the stand, the persistence is what really makes that happen. It's not like, uh, you know, there's very few times I say I'm going out here today and I'm going to kill that deer. Right. Like, um, I just know that he's in the area and using it. And I know with enough time that if I put it, if I focus on him, he's going to take that trail or one of the other trails that I have dialed in at some point, you know what I mean? So it's a gamble at, at that, you know, to that degree. But, you know, when you don't have that many deer, you know, like if you go in these areas that are higher deer density and I'm sure anybody that's, you know, is when they were greener hunting, you find this area, you saw a lot of deer the first day you got there and you kept hunting and kept hunting every day. The deer numbers go down. Right. I mean, have y'all ever noticed that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really have that problem up here because we don't have that many deer. So like they, they don't, um, you're not going to be alerting the other animals as much. And, you know, like I am, I, I do believe that, you know, deer do put out some type of scent or something when, when they get spooked or weary that other deer pick up on. And, you know, I'm not a biologist, but I, it's just, I've seen deer get spooked and see another deer walk to that same area and become alert, even when they didn't see that deer. And, um, I think there's something that goes on there. And that's the, another reason that these deer kind of pick up on some of that stuff and like why your deer numbers, you know, sightings go down, but up here, like I said, you don't have to really worry about that as much. Um, so you just pick the days that you think he's going to be on his feet earlier or later, you know, depending on if you're morning or afternoon hunting, um, which that can be barometric pressure, moon phase, temperature changes, you know, all these different things. So John, like the way that we've been hunting the last few years, I feel like we've kind of switched up to we're starting to go after terrain in areas where we think that there's going to be bigger bucks or big animals. John is not a trail camera guy, so everything is based on scouting or whatever. And then, you know, if you've listened to any of the podcasts, you've heard, um, you know, John's story where he had this really nice buck, like picture perfect, do everything right. Came back from his uh, one of the hunts where he was up north or whatever, went in and he was going to kill this deer. He went in there so uh, excited. Do you think like the way that we're hunting now and it has to be that that, that way for, for Jason like a little bit is like my question is more about like persistence of like saying, you know, I, I feel like now a lot of the spots where I go in there, I feel like I have a great chance of like seeing 
a, a good animal or seeing nothing. And like, I'm, I'm fine with seeing nothing because the, it's the risk reward thing. I mean, how do you feel about that, John, based on like where you're hunting and how you're hunting nowadays? Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, yeah, that, that was a whole different ball game on that one with, I got back and everything was like the, the perfect wind, the same, you know, same scenario. And then I don't see the buck, no sign of him, anything. And I look out and there's a, a rifle stand right in his bedding area. Yeah. So, but, but yeah, I, I feel, I mean, I've always kind of felt that way. Like, I mean, you know, like I, I don't need to just go out and kill something. Like the last few years I've been trying, I mean, last year my son didn't hunt because he was on a different kind of hunt, but I was like more focused on just trying to get him on some deer and stuff. And then, so like this year I had opportunity to go up to the UP and, and I knew there were some decent bucks and that was a private, private land thing. And yeah, the risk reward thing definitely, you know, I mean, I, I feel I, I, I don't mind going out and not seeing anything. If I know that there's a, you know, opportunity for, to see a decent buck or get a shot at one. But well, I- I, I, I mean, I just bring it up because like with Jason talking about trying to mentor people and I'm thinking of like from our listeners perspective of like a guy that's coming up because in, in your situation, Jason, it sounds like, you know, it would be a lot easier to find somebody with some private land or some, you know, go to a higher deer density area or, or get close to oh. some ag or something. But so I'm just trying yeah. to think of like the mentality of like trying to instill that into a, a a new hunter or someone you know from from over here that's used to used to hunting a little small private piece where they did see a bunch of deer and then it just went down and down and down and they were trying their bait piles and all this stuff to going out and venturing onto public land trying to try right. to target bigger class animals but so well that's the thing like are you talking about like just jumping from like maybe shooting one deer all the way into you know shooting mature bucks because that's a big exactly jump. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you're 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 dealing with two different two different classes of animals. It's almost you know? like you got to go back to Uncle Frank saying you got to get a few under your belt before you start. Yeah, I, I'm just thinking it, but I'm trying to wrap my head around like mentoring a, new hunters or bringing people into that right. scenario the the first time or um, the idea of hiking those hills and setting up and well, you know <laughs> sounds to me like that's not like that's not your entry level hunter i mean yeah so so then when you say yeah. that you're mentoring these guys are they guys that are just striking into that terrain for the first time well, or are they new new hunters most of them live here and new hunters so like what i'm telling you how i hunt is completely different of what i would explain to somebody that it's new here so if they're new to hunting this type of area and they're just wanting to kill a deer. So a good time to do that is either during the rut, you know, like I want my explanation earlier is for killing mature bucks. So, you know, which a mature buck is completely different. You know what John was saying than like just killing a deer or, you know, some, a young buck because, you know, animals and, and whitetails in my opinion, they have, especially white-tailed bucks, they have different personalities. And they, the older bucks that, in my opinion, that become mature are a little bit more, um, they're, they're a little more standoffish. You know, like even 
when they were born, they were just a little bit, they didn't want to be around the group as much. And I think that has a good reason of why they get to be older deer. The ones that are social, you know, bucks are social and hang out with all the does. Those the ones get whacked earlier. And um, so if you really want to kill a deer, you know, your, your best bet is to hunt early season around feed trees, uh, you know, like up here in, or in any big woods environments, that's going to be like mass trees that it's going to be the best place to kill them. So, and they're going to come out, you know, younger bucks, does and things are going to come out earlier um, and stay out later than your mature animals are going to. So, you know, I'm going to tell people to use those types of areas that, you know, sit up around, use woodsmanship and find trees that they're using. Cause you know, when you're talking about a monster track of, mountain timber there's a lot of oak trees in there right so you gotta like spend some time and find the ones they're using find trails make sure you you know you have good bedding terrain close to feed you know connect the dots there that's that's how i tried to teach people to kill their first animal um and then you know during the rut getting your main travel corridors you know, that gets them through the mountains the easiest and you're going to have the best opportunity to see deer. Um, you know, as long as you've done enough time scouting to find that there's deer in that pocket, because that's the problem, you know, that I guess that, you know, like Dan and Fault and them talk about in Big Woods is that deer are pocketed. So you got to spend some time finding out where the deer are pocketed. But once you find them, you know, I'm not going to say it's easy, but, you know, the terrain dictates their movement. So if you just want to kill a deer, it's not that hard. Uh, you know, if you, if you have everything else kind of dialed, but you know, the, I, I do get a lot of people ask me that haven't been hunting long, how to start killing mature deer. And to John's point, uh, I guess you were talking about uncle Frank, you got to put some, you got to put some notches in the belt before you, you really want to start, you know, um, trying to kill a mature animal. Cause you think about something that's lived that long. He's had a lot of things try to get him. So like, he's pretty keen. And so like, especially bow hunters. And I try to explain this to guys all the time. It's like, yeah, it sounds cool to kill mature animals and have these, you know, kill a, a bigger deer and show horns and blah, blah, blah. But like, you gotta, like, you gotta earn your stripes. You know, it's like martial arts, you know, you gotta learn how to draw on an animal and especially a, an animal. that's more of an adolescent. That's not as knowledgeable before you re really can get good and be able to actually draw and execute a shot on a mature animal. Is that, you know, I mean, I, you, I'm sure you guys have noticed the difference between that. Oh, absolutely. That's like, I think we've even said, it's like, you don't want to get your first opportunity to deer and it's this monster buck, you know, cause you're going to really screw it up then. <laughs> I mean, most, yeah, exactly. most of the people are going to like, this is the first, well, this happened to me last year with my elk. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it was like, here, my first ever, you know, I got the drawback on this, and it's a nice six by six bullet, thirty three yards, and I completely blew it. You know, like, yeah, you know, just force gumped it. I mean, just, you know, man. And so, but but that's how it happens with elk hunting. You go out there for two weeks, and you know, whatever. But if you're going into the hunt, you know, whitetail woods around your house or or whatever, get get some get some time under your belt, get some animals under your belt. And then you can't just expect to go out and kill the, a booner, you know, a booner. A no, some people do though. But yeah, I mean, it happens, <laughs> it happens, yeah. but you can't expect it to be the norm or, you know, no. 
So. No, and that's the thing, like, you know, if you look at it and the weapon of choice varies too. Like, you know, like if you have an animal in the big woods, you know, let's use whitetails for, you know, um, for an example, if you're a hundred yards with a rifle, you don't have to be that stealthy and calm in your movements as you do with a compound at 35 yards. But then, you know, when you start bringing that down to like stick bow range where you're trying to get them in 10, 20, 25 tops, like, you know, that all these things get a little bit more complicated. I can tell you it's, it's really tough to get all the way to full draw on a turkey at five steps with a longbow. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Man. Ja- Jason is one of the first people I sent uh, my videos to uh, when I <laughs> shot at that turkey and he's like, you didn't even get the full draw. <laughs> yeah. I know, man. Target panic is a, is a booger, but you know, like the key to all that, in my opinion, and like John, John, you're talking about the elk. I've been elk hunting for, let's see, I think four seasons. And I haven't killed one yet, but I've had opportunities every year. I had a great opportunity on it, like a 300, 300 inch or so, um, five by five. And like, I messed it up because like what he was in a hole with a branch and like, I was focused on the branch, which is so weird. Um, but you know how it happens. You have a shot opportunity. And if you're really not that calm and you see one obstacle, you're going to focus on the obstacle. But the way to really get beyond that is if you work your shot cycle so much that when the opportunity presents itself, the cycle is just so repetitive, you know? And, and I think that's even more key with the stick bow, like having all your different sequences for your anchor points, you know, come down. Like for me with a stick bow, it's like, um, I use two points of anchor, you know, middle finger in my mouth and, the feather slightly touching my nose tip. You know, that's the two things that I always make sure and check before I release an arrow. Yeah. And so not only is Jason hunting in a low deer density area in crazy mountain terrain, hunting only, you know, trophy class or age class bucks, he's also doing it with a stick bow. So, I mean. Well, Mostly, I mean, but I will whack a young deer with a rifle and a RP. <laughs> I, I like, sh- I take out my aggression. I mean, it's not aggression, you know, like, um, when I get in the woods with a rifle, I'm always like walking and stalking and, and I, I'm usually scouting for other areas and I just get really pumped just to shoot something sometimes, you know, with the rifle. It's just, it's still, the rifles are fun. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, John's running over to grab another beer right now, so I'm going to pose this question to him here in a second. But, I mean, so John, for me, is he's always saying, like, it's got to be a, a a bow or nothing. We have a bow hunting podcast, and I feel like John needs to talk to his therapist after hearing something like that, where it's like, you can hunt with a stick bow and then go out with a gun. Like, <laughs> no, I... <laughs> So my point of that is like I grew up gun hunting and bow hunting and yeah and you know it took me years to kill my first deer with my bow but it my second year of gun hunting so up here in Michigan you can start bow hunting when you're 12 and then you start gun hunting when you're 14 well my first year of gun hunting 
well, I, we went to the UP and the weather was terrible. I came back and I only seen like two deer in the woods. The next year, here I'm, you know, 15 years old. It was just like a dumb luck thing. It was a snow day actually at school. And my dad and I were supposed to go out hunt behind our house. He's like, no, nah, it's snowing too much. You just go ahead. I went out. It snowed so much. I got out in these white pines. I couldn't even tell where I was at. I mean, I'm behind my house, you know? Yeah. And I, I'm like, I thought I was by where, you know, my old, my tree stand where I bow hunted. I sit down and I'm literally, it gets daylight and a deer comes running through. It's a six point, And I'm like, I pull up the gun, put him in a crosshair, shoot him and he's dead. I was like, mm-hmm. you know, nice six point. The next year I go up and I go on a hunting trip with my uncles to my dad's old spot and I'm supposed to go sit in this blind ends up. There's a guy in it already. So I'm like freaked out. I'm like, there's like eight of us getting dropped off on this old two track. I end up like just walking straight away from the blind with the guy in it, like with the tree behind me, you know, like making sure I don't get shot by that dude and end up seeing like this opening in front of me. I go out to it. There's a little deer in it. When it gets daylight, it's like a four point. I'm like, I'm going to shoot this thing. And then all of a sudden, literally, I mean, no bullshit, five bucks come running in this, coming down this draw and stop like right in the shooting lane. And I just pull the gun up, put the first one in the crosshairs, boom, shoot it. Nice eight point, you know, I end up getting that thing mounted. The next year I end up going and I killed, we had a big, we had a, actually like a pair of twin 10 points behind our house. And my dad had been trying to kill him with his bow all season. And I didn't get to bow hunt that much that year. And I ended up going out with my girlfriend at the time. Like I had hockey that night. I'm like, hey, you want to go hunt real quick? So we went and we sat underneath my dad's tree stand or his tree. And the buck come out and I turned around, seen it. I've like freaking started freaking out. And my girlfriend laughed at me like she's, you know, cracked up and it spooked the deer. And I turned around. It ran out behind us. I got got out on my knees, turned around and looked. There it was. I shot, killed it. And so that was, you know, a dandy 10 point. Got that one mounted. And after that, I was like, man, you know, I killed three deer with three shot. And it was like, there was no skill involved. And after that, I was just like, I ended up the year, the next year I chased this buck the whole season with my bow all behind my dad's house, end up hunting it during gun season with my bow even. Cause I'm like, I'm not gun hunting anymore. I'm going to, I want to kill a deer, you know, with my bow, but that's how, like, that's how I ended up, you know, getting into it. It's like, I, I love chasing the deer and yeah, if I wanted to go out and get some meat, I haven't, I don't have a problem going out, you know, like Adam, but I give Adam shit about like, <laughs> Oh, you've, we have a bow hunting podcast, dude. What the hell? You're going to go out now and just, and it's like cheating, dude. <laughs> you know? Yeah. If you, and I could see if you go out and you, you filled your tags with your bow or whatever. And then it's just, but no, I got to give him shit for it. It's like, no, <laughs> I, I understand where you're coming from with that, but I, I think there is this point though that especially for some new hunters that there's a stigma around archery hunting that people think that's the only way you're supposed to be able to do it and like i think like for some people that if they really want to stay in it and and especially in some areas that are lower deer density to really improve their woodsmanship 
you know, it take woodsmanship takes time, right? Yeah. And but and some of these folks they want a quicker success. So like a rifle is a good place to start, you know. Like my son, I started him with a rifle, um, and he, you know, he's been shooting a bow since he was a little kid. And but like there is a stigma sometimes, you know, and it happens with antler size too, especially amongst the influencing community is like you only can kill a mature buck or you only can kill, you know, something with a bow to really be accepted And these people feel this way. Right. You know, um, which I'm not, I don't think that's the case. I think we all should be on a journey that's makes it fun. And I mean, even though I like, yeah, I, I do have an art that I like. It's so sounds so weird and sissy to say art, but like when I, chase animals with my stick bow it's usually i want to kill mature animals um with the bow but then when i put the gun in it's like well i'm filling the freezer and i'm going back in this you know new area of public and if i see something legal i'm going to shoot it just you know put some meat in the freezer you know um and i i think there is a everybody should have their own choice you know right to do it um and I don't think one's easier than the others in some areas. You know what I mean? Like um, if I go to Mississippi on a private land, yeah, I could, you know, there's areas down there you could whack or Alabama, you know, where deer densities are really high. You could whack three or four deer one day from a, a big, you know, what, what's those big, uh, those big box blinds called oh, um, the big redneck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The redneck blinds. Yeah. Yeah. I could sit up there and watch YouTube and, um, you know, drink beer and smack a bunch of deer out of that thing. But, um, you know, like, but Hey, if you have fun doing that, that's cool too. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the same page. I, I, same thing, get some under your belt. Like if that's what, and, and, and if you, if you go out for years and you don't have any success, then you're going to end up losing it. But if you go out and you end up getting one with your rifle, then it's, then it's a stepping stone. So I, I agree with that too. I just, but, like to give I, shit. I do have, I do have, yeah, you definitely should get a lot of shit to Adam. But, um, but there's certain animals, like, I don't think I would ever shoot an elk with a rifle, if that makes sense. Like, there's certain animals that I think I, I would only want to shoot with a bow. I'd have zero interest, like a mule deer. I, I really don't want to shoot a mule deer with a rifle. Like, I only want to kill a mule deer with, with the, with a bow. But I've killed so many whitetails over the years, like, and you get enough tags, like, whacking one with a rifle here and there to fill the freezer doesn't you know um it it's not really a, a conquest for me you know what i mean right. Does that makes sense but like hunting these other animals i don't get a chance to hunt like i'm not so interested in just notching a tag and putting an elk on the wall just with any weapon like i really want to do it the way i want to do it is that that, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you on that one. All right, so that's perfect because <laughs> it's it's absolutely perfect. And I'm I'm going to ask you this, and I do like I really do um, respect your opinion. Um, like I said, I Jason and I talk, you know, um, here and there. But so this year I'm going on a, an elk hunt with my dad and uh, some uh, family friends, and they go out to this outfitter. And that's not really my jam, you know, but it's going to be a, a spike camp, um, 
rifle elk hunt. I'm like, well, I'm going to bring my bow and I'm, I'm more excited to go out and, and hunt with my dad and elk hunt. My dad's been out there twice now and shot two elk and collectively probably 45 minutes on stand. Um, just because of that's the way that it is. And it's, it's public land. It's not like they're, they, they have a big outfitter deal, but this is going to be a spike camp on, on public land. Um, but like, I'm real conflicted about like my excitement level for it because it's like, I, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around or at least come around to the idea that it's, it's okay to do this and I should embrace the opportunity because there's going to be, I'm going to be in a situation where, you know, I've never been before in a sense of like, I'm going to be a, in a place where there's probably a higher likelihood of, of elk than me just like John and I, you know, we didn't get a chance to go out to Idaho and scout. So, you know, we were going off of past history from guys we were talking to in a map and that was it. So now these guys are going to say, well, there's elk, this is what they do, etc." So I've got to like embrace the idea that, you know, I'm going to have an opportunity here that there's going to be a lot more elk probably than I'm used to uh, being in the area. So like, how do you, what do you think about that? Like, it's a, it's a rifle hunt. It's like, I, I, I really want to shoot one with a bow. I, I, I mean, it's just. Well, I mean, personally, I've kind of opened my mind up a little bit over the years of also one thing that I always like to hunt by myself. Um, and once I was going out West and I would only hunt with like one of my buddies, but like, I think, you know, like, the hunting camp camaraderie thing is one thing. And if you're going to do something like your dad, that's, you know, obviously he's older than you and, you know, he maybe is not as hardcore and, you know, just want to get it done. If you can go do that, like it's still going to be an experience. I mean, you're still, I don't know how many times you've been out West, but if you're an East coast person or a Midwest person going out West is always, you know, somewhat of a venture, especially if you're going, getting packed in on a spike camp with on horseback, you know, if that's how they're doing it, um, you know, that's going to be adventure in itself. And then also like it's most of these DIY type of spike camps like that, from my understanding, I've never done one, but I've, you know, looked into them is you're still left out there alone and you still have to pretty much get your animal back to camp. So like, I don't know, like I've packed out elk before, like no matter what, like packing elk out is a chore, um, you know, and butchering an elk is a chore. So like, I think you will still get that experience and it's all, it's all based on the experience that you're wanting to get, you know, and you get to spend time with your dad and that'd be awesome. Yeah. And I, at first I started giving them shit and, but I'm like, you know what? I lost my dad last year. And I would give anything. I never did get to go like out West hunting with him. He, he went out there years. I mean, I think it was before I was even born and killed mm. like monster mule deer and stuff like that. And he always, matter of fact, like right before he passed away, he was telling me all about the, the spot. Cause we were going out elk hunting, you know? And he's like, yeah, if, you know, you go down here. And I mean, he was super sharp yet, but but yeah, so I told Adam, like, you know what? I can't give you shit because I would do it if, in a second if my dad was still around, you know, whether it's a rifle or not. You know, you get that opportunity, you know, you got to do it. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you have like 
it's kind of like putting the ego to the side a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I mean, my father doesn't really big. He's never big game hunted. My grandfather did. And that was always a goal for us. When I was a kid, my grandfather always wanted to go elk hunting. We always talked about it. And I remember the first year I got to go, my grandfather's passed years ago, but I, I was sitting there thinking about like how awesome it would have been to go on my first elk hunt with him. You know what I mean? Um, or to even take him up there. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you kind of just have to categorize these, these, these trips and, you know, kind of step back and look at them for what they are, you know, in, in my opinion. Now, if it wasn't your dad, if you were the one, like, <laughs> if if Adam was the one, like, setting up this outfitter and going out rifle hunting, then I'd have to, then I would definitely give him some shit. Cause like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. 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 I'm not looking for an outfitted hunt, you know, for myself. <laughs> like, I could afford to do it. Then, like, I could have killed an elk first year. I could, you know, 4,500 for a 300 or 6,500 for a 340 with a rifle, you know. I could have paid to do that, but right. I just that I I wouldn't be happy looking at that the animal uh, on my wall if I if I went that way. But that's just me, you know. Like, but if that's I mean, there's people who go high fence hunt and kill them in Ohio, and they're happy with that, you know. So if that's their that what floats their boat, that's cool. Yeah, and and you know, it's kind of like what we talked about before we got on here is like that's not, and, and I think that that's maybe the the main. My my main hang up is that like that's not really like kind of like what we aspire to do, you know. Um, so I think I think that's where I I kind of struggle with it. But but you're right. Yeah, it is going to be um, you know horseback in, and then we're just left to our own devices. Um, and then you know, from, from what I understand is, is all of that. And so I've not p- packed out an elk yet. I've not been there. So there's going to be an opportunity, you know, certainly to, to have a lot of experiences. Um, you know, it just happens to be a, a rifle hunt. But so it's like, you know, I'm, I'm excited for all of the experience except, you know, for, for the, like, like you gotta pay for it. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you gotta pay for it no matter what. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, if somebody asked me like, what is the, if I could explain like what makes on a hunt, like let's say a West Western hunt, like what would make me the happiest of like feeling, you know, being fulfilled. It would be like, you know, on a 12 day hunt day 11, I'm worn out as shit and I'm peeing blood and I'm packing out an, an animal, you know, like, cause I've really felt like I've completely put in everything I had to make it successful. Right. And that, 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 that is how I want to have my experiences. I want them to come hard, but you know, there's some people that don't, they just want to go out and smash something and get it done. And, and that makes them happy. Well, um, that's like my partner last year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got a. I mean, I got a question for you on that hunting alone thing. Like, cause you're like, yeah, you know, that whole, you know, camp and camaraderie thing like this year, you know, this, this past year for, for Michigan and for me, I mean, I shot a great deer. I was like, you know, it was circumstances. I was like, yeah, it was, I, I, I felt like, oh, you know, it was, it was 
you know, I just went to a spot and just killed this deer. I didn't have any history with it. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't my dream hunt, like on exactly what you're saying. Like I wasn't like peeing blood at the end of the experience. Like it was just kind of happenstance and I'm, I'm grateful for it. But Frank and Ernie were going out of town. You know, they were, they were packing up to go, uh, maybe they were headed out elk hunting. I don't, I don't remember what they were. They were going camping or something. I don't remember where they were going. They were going camping because yeah. I, I had just got back. Yeah. And so I, I called John and, and, you know, he came out there and, you know, we high five and whatever. But, like, you know, I shoot this deer and I'm just, like, by myself. And I was like, well, that was kind of anticlimactic because you don't have anybody to celebrate with. And, like, you know, and I, I like being there for, like, the recovery of other people's animals and for that that experience. So what's what's the – the draw to, to that hunting alone type experience? Um, I mean, I, th- I think it's really, a, it's probably, I mean, I, I grew up an only child and a lot of things I've done, I've done by myself. And um, I don't know, man, like I, I think, and I also, I live a life where I'm, you know, in a business environment and I deal with people so much that I want to get away and do things by myself. And then I want to like relish in that accomplishment by myself too. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like, um, and I mean, yeah, I get stoked when I have been hunting with other people and we become successful together, but I feel like I'm the most happy. Like if I do it by myself and like everything comes together Um, and you just get to sit there and savor it by yourself and you do everything by yourself so you know it's kind of like it feels like more of an accomplishment to myself than you know if if i have two people helping me pack the animal out you know it's not the same as like me doing it by myself you know like it's a marathon not a sprint type scenario i guess how do you feel about that john john and i have way different personalities so i don't know like how that so that i'd like i mean i love hunting by myself like when i'm like Cause I can do my own thing and it's like, if I want to go over here, whatever. And, and I, that's the way I like to work even too. Like, you know, I just got yeah. a wire in the house and it's like the homeowner wanted to help me, you know, I'll come help you. And it's like, no, I just wanted this. I do it a certain way. And I yeah. like to just, you know, if I need to step back and think about stuff, I don't want someone sitting over my shoulder. Like what's, what are you doing that for? What's this? And it comes, that same thing comes to hunting sometimes. Now, like, you know, when we went out West and stuff, that's different. You know, I'm obviously we're not going to go out. I mean, I did that last year. I went up and I took off and it just, I took off up into the bridgers. And I mean, it was a pretty, it was kind of humbling actually. I mean, it was, you realize just how small you are when you're out there by yourself and, Oh yeah, and the shit that can happen to you. I mean, but you know, it's I don't. I I do like like when I'm bow hunting out here by myself. Like when I you know last year up in the UP and everything. Not that I don't like running ZZ Top, you know, <laughs> patterns through the you know through the marsh and shit the tangles and stuff. But uh, no, I like I like hunting by myself too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, but it's also, you know, like I've, I've warmed up to it a lot over the last couple of years and certain hunts, like it's fun to have some people around, you know, especially like from a motivation perspective, because when you're by yourself, like 
your own self can be the biggest demon of like trying to drop your motivation. Whereas like if you're coming back to camp every night and you got somebody else to communicate with, like you can bounce ideas off each other, kind of like, you know, em- embrace the suck together, you know, to a degree that that's really, you know, that's fun. Um, but it, you know, and not everybody can hunt by themselves. That's another thing. And like, you know, like I have a goal, I would love to go on extended Alaskan hunts by myself one day. And, um, but you have to work up to these things. Like I've, the, the most time I've ever spent by myself has been eight days. Um, and that was doing like fast pack, you know, like, uh, backpacking ultra running type stuff. Um, I mean, I've done like five day hunts by myself, um, not talking to anybody in camp and stuff. And it's, it's interesting. Like if you, it's weird, like we're so connected as humans these days with all these devices and stuff that you don't realize like how dependent you are on communication until you get to a point where you're in a remote area where you don't have communication. You can't talk to anybody. It's kind of a weird uh, scenario. And I've, and, and, you know, a lot of people romanticize about some of these guys um, that go hunt, like for instance, in Alaska for like 20 and 30 days by themselves. And like, but you don't realize like mentally, like how taxing that is, or like, you know, being alone in the woods, you know, at night and especially like in bear country by yourself can be very unnerving. Um, and you have to work up to that kind of stuff as well, you know? Well, I heard on a Aaron Snyder talking on a podcast and he was, he was talking kind of like on these like influencer type people or like the people that want to do that sort of stuff. And he's like, he said, you know, if, if you really want to know like how mentally tough you are, he's like, go on a seven or eight day, like solo backcountry hunt. And he's like, He's like, by day five, you'll be thinking about ex-girlfriends you had when you were a sophomore in high school and the things you should have said. Like, he's like, you get so deep in your mind on like all of yeah. this stuff. Like, I can't imagine like what that, that whole thing is, but you know, for the, for, for I don't know, somebody like me, I guess, like, I just want, I just, I like hunting for the camaraderie portion of it. It's not about the the killing or, you know, I mean, at right now at some level I am like sort of on this, this trip, like where I want to like prove something to myself that I am learning and that I am getting better and that I can like figure these things out on myself or, you know, on my own or that I can trust my gut and make these things work. But I, I guess I don't need to be all by myself to do that. If that makes sense. Yeah. No, you don't always have to be by any means, but, you know, the thing is, I think for most people is if you want to be successful in any goal, you, you, you really can't make it all about the kill. Because like if you if you have a time frame, of, you know, like say an extended hunt, like seven, 14 days or whatever, you just got to think about the time and, and enjoy the enjoy the ride. And then if, if the kill comes like that's like icing on the cake because if you put the kill first, like most of these people are going to be so frustrated. Um, if you're doing something extended and even, you know, this even goes like, you know, even for hunting partners, if you get so wound up in the kill, you're gonna get frustrated and not put up in a hundred percent. Whereas if you just make it about the experience, you're going to have fun and you just keep working towards your goal and you can be successful. Um, 
you know, with, with less frustration. Yeah, I think that's, that's hard. And I think in today's day and age to some degree is, no, yeah. you know, it's, it's been, it's been told to me by, by somebody here in our, in our hunting circle that, uh, hunting is a jealous man's sport. And <laughs> like, I just have never understood that. I mean, I, I mean, I understand how people feel that way and how you have the, the antler envy, right? Like, oh man, that's so good. Why can't I shoot something like that or, or, or whatever. But, you know, for me, I'm just as happy to see John shoot something or, you know, God, if, if we could just get Frank to shoot something, that'd be awesome. Um, but it doesn't ultimately my hunting journey isn't against John or against you or against Frank. It's against the animal and the ability and, and my own ability and, and myself. So if, if I keep only putting myself in a position to kill four points or, or whatever, at some point I'm going to be sick killing four points and then I'll have to like look inside myself and say, what do I have to do differently? Not why does he always get to kill him and I don't? I mean, it, right. it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a him problem. It's, it's a me problem. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, dude, I mean, it's like, we can't just use this for hunting. I mean, this is more like psychological, but men are, have the worst egos. You know, you, you don't see women like this may sound chauvinist or whatever, but like, they don't get into their hobbies and be extremely envious. Let's say cooking. You know, a lot of ladies like to cook. One lady doesn't get extremely envious over somebody's late, somebody else's like pot pie being better than theirs. You know what I mean? But men, it doesn't matter what they're in. They have an ego that wants to be better than the next man. I mean, it, it's essentially like anthropology, right? Like we're hunter gatherers and there is this like war competitive nature that, you know, Bravo, whatever that comes with men, it doesn't matter. Like any hobby I've ever been in, in my life, there's always the same pecking order of one dude, one outdo the other. You know what I mean? Um, so I wouldn't say it's just hunting, um, with having like the envy it's, you know, it's, it's anything. I mean, there's, there's a great book called egos in enemy by, um, I think his name's Ryan holiday or something like that. That's a really good book. that talks about the ego and you really have to, you know, we have to put it in check every day, you know, I mean, it bites at all of us, right? Sure. But like, so uh, I guess, uh, uh, like same level kind of shifting gears, you, you were talking about like, like, uh, ultra running and you've done some like competitive cycling and stuff like that. Like on that level, I always think, I, I always think about hunting kind of like in the same vein as I think about running is that there's always going to be someone faster or there's always going to be someone that kills a bigger deer. And I think the bigger deer thing comes with with money. Like there's always going to be someone who's, you know, going to have more money. So there they can go and buy a bigger deer. They can pay somebody to find them a bigger deer. You know, they can, they can do that. So I'm not in a competition with anybody like on that level. And I think like in, I feel the same way about the way that I run is that I can only try and be faster than I was yesterday or, you know, where I'm at right now. I mean, I know I ran my best 5k when I got out of the Marines and I was running six minute miles. So I know that my personal best, I'm probably never, ever going to reach that again. So I have to kind of reset my goals 
to to kind of like where I'm at in life. So that I mean, I don't know. I think think it's all well, me against me. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you have to make it about you know you against yourself. I mean, like you know, a lot of things. There's a lot of things that can benefit you uh, depending on hobby. Like money can benefit you if you don't have money. Time can benefit you. And if you don't have time, experience can benefit you. Um, if you want to be uber successful, you can combine all three of those, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but all those three things are, are like really what make can make you successful in, in, in a lot of different um, adventures or, you know, um, adventure, you know, or the one thing like as far as fitness comes and like running and things like that, you can't buy your way into success in running or cycling or rock climbing and things like that, you know, like, or, um, combat sports, you can't buy your way to the podium of, you know, fighting somebody, you know, either has come from, you know, both time and experience. Right. And same thing with hunting. I mean, yeah, anybody can, you can pay somebody to fly up on top of a mountain and kill a doll sheep. Right. Um, if you want to, but you know, the best way to do it, you know, it's more pure is hiking your way up the mountain, shooting it, bringing it back down, you know? Yeah, for sure. And like, I I think that that's why, I don't know, we, we don't have a problem showcasing our failures in that way because we're not trying to manipulate anybody or be like, yeah, we're going to go do this. And this is what you can expect from us. Like, yeah, you can pretty much expect for us to fail. So we, when, when we, when, when we do have successes, we can all celebrate together, you know, in that oh, yeah. camaraderie type type deal. Any true person that's truly successful and no, no matter what it is, they all fail, you know, it's just getting back up and doing it again, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. I mean, geez, I mean, I've, I miss a lot of deer over, you know, these years I'm, I'm getting where I miss less. Um, but you know, I missed a really good buck this year in Ohio and Hey, you know, I didn't let it beat me up and I didn't get stressed out because I didn't get to post a picture on Instagram of a grip and grin with my mustache and all that stuff, you know, <laughs> like, um, but you know, I just, I, I looked at what I did wrong and, soaked it up for what it was and then i killed one a month and a half later you know what i mean like you can't let it get you down you just you have to take it in for what it is i was really disappointed i got my trad bow second hand and it didn't come with a mustache or a stormy chrome or something like what the heck man yeah yeah <laughs> did it have a snyder grip <laughs> it actually has aaron snyder's signature on it just so you know oh my oh geez you're guaranteed to shoot like 45 yards <laughs> Oh man. So Jason, you also, it, it turns out have like this hunting company that's coming out with like all of these exciting products. Where are you at with all of these secret project products that, uh, you know, the industry just pumps out as soon as possible, uh, as quickly yeah. as possible to, <laughs> to, to get in the hands of people. Um, well, I'm never where I want to be as far as like, and development i know you always like to give me crap but um you know I'm, I'm i'm extremely optimistic all the time and think things should happen quicker than they should but like good things don't come quick you know we just spent over an hour talking about that right mm-hmm. uh, and so that's kind of the same way with our our products like uh you know i, I have 
you know, we have some new products coming out. You know, obviously we have our climbing sticks, which, you know, most people that know who we are, Timber Ninja Outdoors, know that we have carbon fiber climbing sticks and also aluminum version of that. Uh, but we have always had other products in the pipeline. We've been working on a tree stand for since since we really started talking about bringing it to, coming to market with Timber Ninja Outdoors. Like the tree stand was always part of it. Um, and it's changed. It's changed so much over the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, we have a carbon fiber tree stand that's coming out. Should be out July at, at the latest, maybe even late June. I mean, our goal is like we plan on going to that um, that uh, trade show in Alabama. What's it called? The um, Whitetail World Whitetail Expo or something like that. You know, I'm talking. Y'all heard of that one? I, I've heard of it. I'm not like overly familiar on the dates or, or anything. Yeah. I think, I believe it's in July, like early July. Uh, so our goal is to definitely have it on showcase by then, if not sooner. I mean, uh, they're telling me now like June to get all the final. I mean, we have different levels of it, you know, at the shop, but like getting it all dialed into the finished product. Um, you know, like I said, we're not trying to rush stuff to market to, you know, make some money real quick and, you know, hopefully get somebody else's stand sales, you know, want mm-hmm. people to get their own stuff. But, uh, and then we have a s- saddle coming out this year, which should be finished up. It actually should have been finished up, uh, May 1st, but it's, uh, hasn't been ready to go to market yet. I just, it's just been a crazy year with, um, supply chain, you know, like, lack of workers has been a, one of the biggest issues that we've ran into is like we have facilities that we work with um like you know uh um secondary suppliers that have had issues just getting staff like their normal business is picked up and and but they're not being able to get workers back in so like that's caused a few slowdowns for us and um so that's one of the big reasons for our saddle line. It's not out yet, but it, it'll be out, you know, this summer, about the same time, like I said, June, July at the latest. And then we have a saddle platform coming out too. And that mainly has just been uh, us continue to make little tweaks to it. It really has nothing to do with this fire. <laughs> we just keep making little micro adjustments. And so uh, I had asked you before about the, the saddle off, uh, off air, and I don't really want any like groundbreaking anything, but you were, I had asked you about like where it's going to be made and the materials and stuff like that. Cause I think that that's important, you know, to, to a lot of the consumers. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be made hundred percent in America, just like everything else we do, like everything, everything we make is made in the U S majority of the products. I mean, the components and everything come from, the u.s i mean obviously there's sometimes like screws and stuff that we can't get from here but you know the saddle is going to be completely made in the u.s um it's also going to be made to osha standards like i think i was talking to you about that like and it'll be drop tested based on fall protection standards since there's really not quote-unquote a saddle standard yet but we're going to have it drop drop tested to osha standards uh before we release it awesome well, I mean, I, I appreciate talking to you any day, but I like to do it when we can record it too, because it's it's always fun to let other people be a fly on the wall for uh, 
for these types of things and to get John talking about himself a little bit here and there too was fun for the, for the list. He's, re- he's really good at that. <laughs> yeah. He should be an influencer. He peacocks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's over there. I mean, he's got his, his full strut Turkey headdress on right now. So, yeah, I mean, I, I figured that- you have that in like a sleeveless shirt. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's John's you know normal Sunday night attire. Uh, he actually forgot yeah. we had a podcast today, and he was just wearing that. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how many like uh, personal uh, followers he has on social media, but I think once you hit like a thousand, you have to start wearing like sleeveless shirts and like start taking uh, growth hormone or something. So, well, John, a lot there. of the pictures on John's deal is uh, is is fishing and. and that so he usually does have a sleeveless shirt on i think maybe he's <laughs> nice. ahead of the curve yeah yeah the dad bod <laughs> but that's the way to roll that's how you get the true followers yeah. right yeah so yeah i think that's kind of all we got for tonight yeah man thanks for having me on it was fun yeah no problem i, I always enjoy it <laughs>